The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Big Six Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. Tuesday, December 17th. Oh, yeah. What are you pointing at, Sean? Ryan's Star Wars mug. You really have to point at that during the intro? It's unbelievable. It's too much Star Wars. All right. There it is. Sean Wagner McGuff, who's, by the way, skipping work on Saturday morning to go to a Star Wars. He's going to skip an NFL game to go see a Star Wars movie for how many times, Ryan? You mentioned you're skipping the most important part. He's going to he's skipping work Saturday morning for the second time because the day before he's going to see the movie on opening night, and then he's going to go see it again like a maniac four hours later while missing work. There's a lot of fake news being said right now, but whatever. You guys can say what you want. Everyone knows it's fake news. I'll be tagging you in Slack in the middle of the first half of the first game on on Saturday. I'll be like, hey, Sean. What do you think about what's going on in the football game right now? I'd be curious to hear your thoughts currently. But let's also not forget about my plan on Thursday because I am two hours ahead of Sean. I am going to see the movie before him, text him the entire plot, and ruin the whole thing for him and tell him how much I hate the movie and I hate Star Wars and he's not going to see it and he's never going to talk to me again. I've been playing this out for three years, playing the long game. The the problem is is that – I, I think you're kidding because I think you're kidding because I think you would know I would actually hate you for doing that, but I don't know for sure. So there's a 50% chance I turn off my phone starting Thursday afternoon and don't turn it back on until Friday afternoon. Do so you remember the? Just out of curiosity, the new Star Wars, which is Rise of the Vulcans, what, does that come out on <laughs> Thursday or Friday? Thursday night, At like midnight. You can find like 7:30 showings. I was. A dumbass. I'm going to ruin this whole thing for you. There's no Thursday night football. So I was, yeah, well, that's the thing is I bought tickets when they came out like a month ago, and I purposely bought Friday morning tickets because I was like, oh, I cover every Thursday night game. I can't skip that. And then it hit me like last week. I was like, wait a minute. There's no Thursday night football. Why don't you just go Thursday night? All the showings are like pretty much sold out. Oh, my God. If I find a showing and I can go Thursday night, I am tweeting and tagging you on like every spoiler. See, Breach won't won't do it because Breach is too nice. Princeton will actually do it. I, I already see a, a showing. I see a showing right now. Starts at 4 p.m. Pacific in Nashville at 6 p.m. Central Time. There are still tickets available. This is a master plan. I'm pulling it off. I'm going to live tweet. This is going to be amazing. I'm going to get kicked off Twitter. I'm ready to do this. Brenton, you right, should do it too. Do it. Uh, this is actually more exciting than the Saints and uh, Colts game <laughs> occurred on. Um, on uh, look, the Saints Colts game 34 to seven. 
The Saints beat the Colts in the, uh, in the Superdome. The under hit, womp, womp. I had the 46. The Colts couldn't muster any points at all. Uh, I also probably lost, um, yeah, I lost, uh, let's see, how much did I lose? I finished with 114 DFS points and won $20. And the guy who won $250,000 had 126 points. Jacoby Brissett had run in a touchdown. I probably would have won a couple grand. So that's exciting. Um, yes, Breach. Oh, well, you were talking about your DFS. I was going to say, in bigger news, Sean and I were both knocked out of the CBS work playoffs. You guys don't know what the playoffs are because you weren't in them. I think Ryan you, was. You would, you would know that I already knew that if you'd listened to Thursday night preview because Dubin stomped on Sean's face during, throughout the entire preview, talking about how he blasted his team into oblivion, how it was, it was never close. Sean is a pathetic manager. A lot of other stuff. I lost tonight because of Alvin Kamara. That's where I was going with this. I I was in play. I was beating Joel Corey, our NFL agent friend who works for CBS Sports. He needed six points from Kamara, and he got it. Ah, yeah, you weren't getting that. Uh, <laughs> Breeze, Breeze broke a record, a record held by Philip Rivers, future Hall of Famer. Uh, one Hall of Famer, one former Charger Hall of Famer, breaking another uh, soon-to-be former Charger Hall of Famer's record. Breeze went 29 of 30. One incompletion. His only incompletion, I believe, was a throwaway, too. Wasn't even, uh, wasn't even a drop. He threw 300 for 307 pass yards, four touchdowns, breaking the, oh, he broke the all-time record for passing touchdowns by a, a quarterback in his career, and he broke the single-game record for completion percentage, uh, in one game. And now I think he may even have a shot. It's probably not, but I, I would have to look at the math. Like, He's leading the league in completion percentage, and he's right about where he was last year when he set the record. Uh, you, you know, you get 29 to 30, you're going to help your numbers. Um, Bree set out the final few minutes of the game. Teddy Bridgewater came in. Alvin Kamara, 14 carries, 66 yards. Michael Thomas, 12 catches on 12 targets, 128 yards, and a touchdown for the Colts. Um, you know, look. So 60 minutes of doo-doo. Done. Yeah. Well, let's just talk about Breeze, because frankly, that's what the, I mean, it's sort of insulting. I get it. This is exactly what they did last year with the Redskins game. It was like Bree, they knew Breeze was going to break the record. And so, like, there were two features leading up to it about how Breeze likes to break records on ESPN on Monday Night Football. There were multiple – I mean, this is just nonstop references from Tess and Bug about how Breeze was going to break the record. And, you know, he almost broke it before halftime. The rest called it back on offensive pass interference. Breeze is, like, celebrating, like, going nuts. He's like, rant, rant. Sorry, buddy. There's a flag. Um where does Breeze uh, rank in your pantheon of all-time great quarterbacks, Breach? Uh, he's in the top ten, but there are so many good quarterbacks. When you look at the great scheme of things, the grand scheme of things, 100 years of NFL football, I don't think he's – his numbers are obviously big, but he's played in an offense that produces big numbers because Sean Payton was at the beginning of the era. He was ahead of the curve when it came to, hey, we're going to start slinging the ball all the time. We don't need to run the ball. So as soon as he got there in 2006, they've literally been throwing it nonstop since. So Drew Brees, numbers-wise, fantastic. You know, but I don't think you can put him ahead of Tom Brady. I don't think you can put him ahead of Peyton Manning. I don't think you can put ahead of a, probably even a guy like Joe Montana if you want to go further back. So he's absolutely top ten, and then I think you could debate him into the top five. Does anyone here – would they be willing to put him above Peyton Manning? I think that's the more interesting, like just looking at the guys in the last 20 years, like obviously no one's putting him at a Brady, but I think like, I don't know if I would personally put him above Manning, but I think there's an argument to be made. 
I would tend to agree that there's a better argument than people would like to give credit for. And especially it would help if Breeze could win a second Super Bowl, I think, if you're going to make that argument. I mean, like statistically, he's got all the numbers. I don't think very many like old school uh, media folks are going to give you the benefit of the doubt of, 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 uh, of Breeze over Manning. And I get it. I mean, Manning's an all-timer. Manning is, a, is one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. I mean, like, no doubt about it. I do think that Breeze's career was sort of overshadowed by having to play with both Manning and Brady already being established when he came into the league. And then... Um, and having to play for Marty Schottenheimer for the first part of his career. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, he got run out of, like, you know, he didn't, he didn't step in and become a, you know, the hero of, of a franchise like the Colts or the, you know, the, the, the Patriots. He was, you know, he was drafted by the Chargers, franchise tagged, hurt his arm, left, uh, and then signed with the Saints. He was, he was considered maybe like his career might be done. And he just took off once he got to New Orleans. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I tend to think that like Breeze could qualify as better than Manning, but I don't think people will give it to you even though, and I don't think I would even go there, even though the stats might back it up. Something interesting statistically, even though like quarterback wins obviously isn't everything, but Manning never really had like bad seasons. You know, he had 2000 or 2001, they were six and 10. Was that really like the only bad season I think that they had? And that 2000 and that 2001 season is the one that they're using to compare Jameis to. Right. And so, and then you actually look at Breeze and a lot of this was because the Saints defense was terrible for a number of years. Uh, but he's had a lot of below 500 seasons. I've, I'm already counting like five or six of them. So uh, I do think voters would probably hold that against him a little bit. Because Peyton Manning was always there every single year in the playoffs. We were talking about is it going to be Brady versus Manning. And there were years where the Saints weren't in that playoff conversation. And if you're talking about bad defense, though, not like Peyton Manning played with great defenses. The Colts, during his time in Indy, six times they ranked 20th or worse in most points surrendered. So if your defense is giving up a bunch of points, you have to compensate by scoring points. And also, again, Sean Payton's system, Peyton Manning didn't get to play with one of the most brilliant offensive minds in football. Drew Brees does have that benefit. What would you call Jim Caldwell, Breach? Well, I, I wouldn't call him one of the most brilliant <laughs> offensive minds. I wouldn't even – or, or, or Tony Dungy, you know. Like he just didn't have brilliant offensive minds. He was the one that had to be basically the guy on the field, his own offensive coordinator out there making everything happen. So, What would you call Adam Gase, Breach? That's a fantastic <laughs> question. He did massage Peyton's head to help him play better in uh, Denver. Is that what happened? Is that – yeah, I mean, look, look, Breeze landed in New Orleans, and the you know we always talk about, or I guess it goes underrated, like the pairing of a coach and a quarterback, like that. Like Sean Payton maybe doesn't end up being in New Orleans for. I mean, he's going on like 15 years now, 14 years. Uh, if he doesn't get Drew Brees in free agency, if the Dolphins aren't injured, you know, what I mean, it's a crazy what if. Like maybe Nick Saban is still there, or maybe Drew Brees doesn't work out in Miami. I mean, that pairing of Brees and Peyton, the way that they operate together on the same page. I mean, Brees' first year in New Orleans, he threw for he led the league in passing yards for forty, you know, four thousand four hundred eighteen passing yards, twenty six touchdowns. By his third year there, he'd hit five thousand passing yards and he had thirty four touchdowns in back to back seasons. I do think, you know, you point out the losing seasons. So there's uh, uh, five, seven, and nine years and one eight and eight year for them uh, throughout that stretch. And that really, I think, dings them in terms of what they get credit for. So according to uh, Pro Football References, um, um, 
approximate value, which is sort of how they measure what a player is worth over the course of a season or a career. Peyton's number one, Tom Brady's number two, and Drew All Brees time. is number three. All time. Cool. Um, and Drew Brees is at 256 approximate value points, one point ahead of Brett Favre. Um, so those are the top four guys. Fran Targeton is six, which is sort of interesting because he played in an era where the offense wasn't a big deal, but he, uh, passing offense wasn't, but he ran a lot. And uh, Philip Rivers, 13th, just behind John Elway. Where's Aaron Rodgers rank? Aaron Rodgers, that's funny you ask, Breach. 22nd is Steve Young, which is wow. sort of curious. 23rd, Aaron Rodgers. Suck it, nerds. Hate so, to see it. Yeah, I, I love to see it. You'd love to see it. By the way, Eli Manning, 35th. He's been playing since 2004. Tied with Dan Fouts. And just in front of, yeah, boy, John Breach, Ken Anderson. Yeah. Ken Anderson. Put him in the Hall of Fame with Drew Breeze. And his mustache. I think the other, the other factor to take into account with Manning versus Breeze is that, has there ever been a year in the NFL where Breeze was the best quarterback in football? I mean, so Breeze has never won MVP famously, and Manning has five. And I think that that would actually probably factor into the conversation because Breeze has never been, we never looked at Breeze and said, this guy was the best this year. That happened many times with Peyton Manning. Drew Breeze has won all pro. That's kind of insane. Like that is, I actually, I actually think the, the crazier set, and I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure this is correct. I'm not sure that Drew Brees has an MVP vote. I don't think he does. I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a single MVP vote in his career. Did no one vote for him last year? No, 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 no. He's got the most second place finishes in NFL exactly. history. Yeah. I wrote a thing on it last year. Okay. Yeah. He's, yeah. He, he's been runner up, I think four, maybe five times. So he's, Finished second place in the MP, MVP vote at least four. Okay. If I can find my article, I'll tell you if it's five. He definitely, so, he's obviously never won. Okay. That, I don't know. Why did I think he never had a vote? Who never has a vote? Ben Roethlisberger's never had a vote. That's what it is. And did, did, did Tony Romo ever get a vote? Wait, Ooh. Big Ben has never had a vote? That's never never a even vote. had That's a vote. That's right. Good call, Breach. By the yeah. way, um, sort of following up what Sean was saying about Drew Brees never being the best quarterback. The last three years before 2019, he's finished second or third in total value, according to Football Outsiders. And you have to sort of scroll manually to see previously. But I would imagine he probably has a year where he may have finished first, but just not traditionally number one, according to people that talk a lot about it on television or whatever. Yeah, I mean, from 2014 to 2016, he led the league in passing three times, all three years. But they were 7-9, 7-8, and 7-9, or his, his starting record was 7-8 that year. So they went 7-9 three straight years. And the narrative was... Well, it's great that Drew Brees puts up these numbers, but does it matter if the team can't do better than seven and nine? And then they, they hired Jeff Ireland after the whole Miami fiasco. He comes down there and he's done an incredible job improving the defense. Brees' stats have seen a decline in terms of volume, but his efficiency still jacked through the roof. I mean, he's led the league in passing all three years of the last, last three. He's leading it now 72%, which is the record 74.4% which is the new record, and now he's at 73.6%, but his number is going to bump up even higher because of tonight. So, I mean, you know, yes, Ryan. What did the Saints finish in 2011, their record? Do you have it in front of you? 13-3. Drew Brees was number one in total value that year, number two in value per play, ahead of Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and our guy Tony Romo. So he was the top quarterback in 2011, according to the advanced metrics, and uh, probably according to people who watched him play a lot. And well, Aaron Rodgers won MVP. Aaron Rodgers won because they went 15 and one and Aaron Rodgers won MVP. That's right. I mean, like that, that's been the issue. You're right, Sean. Like he never has been the top quarterback. It's not that he wasn't one of the two best, but he, yeah, he won offensive player of the year that year in 2011, but he's always been 
Like there's a, it's just, it's like a, they call it brother-in-law golf. Like when you're, like when you, like you play well on one hole and then like you play well on one shot in like a captain's choice format, you know, like it's just, it's just like you just happen to be like Breeze has always had someone else just pop up and put up a huge year whenever he, like, whenever he was playing well. Yeah. Know? And that's what I was about to say. So it is four. He's finished runner up for the MVP four times. One, which I can't believe we didn't bring up right away was last year to Patrick Mahomes. He was the only other person yeah. that got any votes. And so he lost because of a historic year by Mahomes. 2011, even though he was best value per play, he was Aaron Rodgers because that historic year where Rodgers had 45 touchdown passes, just six interceptions. I think the Packers went 15 and one that year. Was that the other one? 15 and one? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. So that took a phenomenal season. 2009, he lost. Remember the Colts and the, the Colts and the Saints were the only undefeated teams late in the year. And the Colts, uh, famously sat their guys, right? The Colts who uh, sat the- uh, well, the Saints sat their guys, I think, in week 16, in the final week of the season. But they'd already and, lost, and so they weren't worried about going undefeated. And 2009 was the year he probably should have won it. That's where Peyton Manning won it with uh, 33 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. Breeze threw 34 touchdowns and 11 interceptions, so five few interceptions, one more touchdown, higher completion percentage, and I think the Saints won the Super Bowl that year over the Colts. Um so that was probably the year he should have won it. And then his other runner-up year was 2006 when he lost the award to LaDainian Tomlinson. Oof. So I have a uh, fun fact and then I have a question. So the fun fact is from Nick Corte, who works for Over the Cap, and he does comp pick stuff. And he tweeted this out earlier on Monday night. When the Chargers let Drew Brees walk to the Saints, that was after the 2006 season, they got a third-round comp pick in the 2007 draft. They used it on Anthony Waters. Everyone remembers Anthony Waters. No one remembers mm-hmm. Anthony Waters. Waters lasted two seasons in San Diego, then ended up winning the Super Bowl with the Saints Andrew Brees. So that's sort of funny. Oh, and number two, fact. and I'll, I'll ask Brenton this. I'll let him answer this first. Do you think the Chargers would have been better off if they stayed with Drew Brees? Um, no. I, I would I would argue that Drew Brees would be worse off if he'd stayed with the Chargers. I think – like, do do you think that if Philip Rivers had gone to New Orleans instead of Breeze, do you think he would have put up similar numbers with Sean Payton as Drew Breeze? Probably. No, because Sean Payton wouldn't couldn't stand him. On that oh jab, my God! Do you know how obnoxious Sean Payton and Philip Rivers would be together. They would love each other. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, he'd be like doing finger guns at the sideline and stuff. Like, because like Breeze ain't hanging with Sean Payton late. Yeah. You know, neither would Philip Rivers. Like they'd be. Yeah. Bored. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, I've seen Sean Payton up late before at like a, at a, at like the combine and stuff. Oh yeah. Well, me and Breach saw him up late last year. Dunked oh, on. dunked on. But so, but what about <laughs> Drew, Drew Brees playing <laughs> with LaDainian Tomlinson? You know, that's kind of that Kamara except 5% better because Tomlinson's one of the best dual threat backs probably in NFL history. And so you would have had them paired up if Brees would have stayed with the Chargers, kind of Tomlinson. Edging toward the end of his career. I mean, Breeze did play with him for a couple seasons, but but I feel like a lot a lot of people thought, but a lot of people thought Marty Schottenheimer was kind of holding back that team. He didn't get along with the GM. So then when you had a season, a few seasons with North Turner, is would have been the big difference. Yeah, remember they remember the um because did the Chargers trade down with the Falcons and the Falcons came up and got Vic and then the Chargers. No, no, the Falcons leapfrogged the Chargers. I think got Vic. The Chargers took LT and then they took Breeze in the second round because they wanted a quarterback and they were thinking about taking Vic. So LT yeah. and Breeze came in together. Um, who's the best weapon Breeze has ever had? 
Michael Thomas. Got to be Michael Thomas. Could be Alvin Kamara. Could be Marquise Colston. Could be Jimmy Graham. It's it's Michael Thomas. I think he's the best receiver in football right now. And I think the only reason he doesn't get talked as often as like Julio and DeAndre Hopkins and before this past year Odell um, and Antonio Brown a few years ago is because he makes he's so good that he makes it look too easy. Like he's just wide open all the time. And he did make a one handed catch um, on Monday night. That was pretty remarkable. But you don't really see that from him all the time because he does play with a really accurate quarterback and because he's such a good route runner that he always has three yards of separation. I'd love for there to be a stat of like amount of separation from nearest defender when you make a catch. That would be a great stat because I bet you he leads the league in that. They need to get an all-22 camera on Michael Thomas because I feel like that's the only way to truly appreciate what he does on the field. Because going into the game, if you're the fan of the other team, if you're a Colts fan tonight, you're like, oh, we need to triple-team Michael Thomas. There's no way we're going to let Michael Thomas beat us. Yet somehow he gets open. He's a yard or two open on every single play, even though he's the focus of the defense, and he still puts up huge numbers like he did on Monday night, 12 catches, 128 yards, and a touchdown. And a lot of people are probably just watching thinking, how is the best player getting open all the time? And it's because he's such a tremendous route runner, and he's just embarrassing every secondary he plays against. My favorite. Way, Marcus, Marcus Colton, 2006 to 2015, former tight end, I believe, out of Hofstra. Um, 9,700 yards, averages 13.7 yards per reception, which is nearly two yards more per reception than Michael Thomas. Has 72 touchdowns over that span. Michael Thomas had 30 coming into tonight's game. So, I mean, Marcus Colson's in the conversation. I'm, I'm assuming Michael, Michael Thomas will surpass yeah, Jimmy those. Graham's in the conversation, too. Like, Michael Thomas, if he keeps doing what he's doing, will be the best ever. But, like, I mean, Breeze only gets three years with Michael Thomas. Is he really the best weapon ever Breeze ever had? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a shut. A shut. Yeah. Because I mean, in in that in that in that in that discussion, you would say that it's actually Ladainian Tomlinson. Well, I mean, you're just handing him the ball, though, or you're passing to him. I mean, like, I mean, I guess it's the way you frame the question. Is it just purely the best player he's played with, or is it the actually like if you look at the production that well, he's who's had? With mo- the who's, who's the most important weapon of Breeze's career? I think it's probably Graham Colston, then Mike uh, Thomas. No, Pink. LDT is in the top three. He's a I mean, he's pretty pretty valuable weapon. No, I'm saying like he didn't get, like he only played with LDT for, I guess he got four years. Yeah, yeah. Thomas Jeremy had 100 catches in 2003. He caught he caught he got literally half of Drew Brees' completions. I, what about I, Jeremy Shockey? That's a joke. <laughs> I I like the Graham argument. I still go Thomas, but I like the Graham argument because that was also in an era where these like really elite pass catching explosive tight ends that weren't blockers. I felt like we're becoming like a thing and they, they weren't around the league yet. Like it was like him and Gronk were like revolutionizing the way tight end. It felt like was being played. Yeah, They uh, drafted him in the third round in um, 2010 and from 2011 to 2014 uh, before he got traded, which it's hard to believe he's got traded that long ago. Jimmy Graham had 46 touchdowns. Yeah, he was unstoppable, but he's, he sort of slowed down. He's not the player he once was. I'm blaming Aaron Rodgers. Or Russell well, Wilson. Yeah, he had the problem um, in Seattle. All right, so, again, like, I can't stress this enough. No, it, you don't need to know anything about this game. Like, the, the Colts did nothing. They couldn't do anything. It was just Breeze. It was a celebration for Breeze. So you know what I did during this game? I paused it, and I watched a documentary about people paddling down the West Coast. That's how bored I was. And I would go back, and I'd fast-forward through the commercials. I just couldn't sit there through the whole thing. I was so, like, this is mind-numbingly terrible. 
by the Colts. I mean, this the, is the oldest you've ever been on this podcast. Like the I oldest. Old man story and I watched given. a documentary on cereal. Is this the game that finally makes Frank Reich say, okay, maybe we actually do need a quarterback next year? Cause Jacoby Brissett sat out there and he was like reverse Drew Brees, bizarro Drew Brees, where if Drew Brees is super accurate, Jacoby Brissett couldn't complete a pass. He was overthrowing guys all night. He missed at least five guys who were completely wide open. And maybe the Colts only lose 34 to 14 if Jacoby Brissett could actually complete a pass. I mean, it's, and he's been pretty bad. Since he came back from his injury, so well, I'm not where, did sure. he, where did he go to school though, Breach? You know, that's, that's true. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't, don't get me wrong. I mean, he wasn't like he wasn't great out there, but he was constantly under pressure. He's throwing to Zach Pascal, Marcus Johnson, Dontrell, T.Y. Hilton, Emmon, a very injured T.Y. Hilton, um, Jack I Doyle. Think, I think he's still injured too. I mean, you can say think, he looks terrible and all that. I don't think he's 100. percent He's wearing that big bulky knee brace, and I don't think Frank Reich. I mean, he only has one more year left on his deal, so they probably have some sort of contingency plan anyway. But here's the problem. This, is not, this has not been a good stretch run for Frank Reich. And I get that everybody's hurt and the defense is bad and Marlon Mack missed a few games, but like they're trying to, they're trying to force the run instead of just let, like, I don't understand why they're not in this game. You know, you're watching the Colt, the Saints go up and down on you. You, you go score some points, spread it well, out. You just said they tried to and he kept getting hit <laughs> and, he, and it's brief pointing out he couldn't complete a pass. I mean, their possession, it went punt, 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 downs, punt, punt, touchdown. And that first punt got blocked, Yeah, which was kind of fitting because Drew Brees' first game ever with the Saints was in 2006 when Steve Gleason opened it up with that punt block against the Falcons. That was the first game back at the Dome after Hurricane Katrina. And so now it's career kind of full circle because you break the records in the Dome with a punt block on the first possession. Little fun fact. That's all. I I mean, I understand that I'm a homer, uh, but I'm not. I don't, I think you guys are, I, you might, you maybe you, you might be right by being down on Jacoby Brissett, but I don't think you're. I'm not this. down on him. No, I'm talking about Sean and, and Sean hates him. Um, <laughs> just because the last, oh, it's only been the last four weeks or so that I've been saying. He might that be injured. Should. That's why I'm he's, not down. I think he's injured and I think you're miss, like I thought Booger and Tess pointed this out pretty well on the, the broadcast too. Like Frank Wright made it clear that he said that he told him Brissett's their guy. Well, the problem is that they're, too good of a team that they're not going to be like in that position to go get a top quarterback in the draft, right? Because I mean, they they finished the year against the Panthers and Jags, and I feel like they could win one of those games, maybe even both of them. Uh, so like they're kind of stuck in that quarterback purgatory, and I don't think Brissett's a uh, terrible. Not. There's only one quarterback, and that's Joe Burrow going first overall. If they want to draft Justin Herbert, they can do that. I mean, Justin I would. Herbert. So I'd be fully on board with that, or. We've talked about a lot how this is going to be a very active veteran quarterback market, more so in recent years, or at least in my memory that I can remember. So I think they could be a player for one of those types of – like, I'm not saying get rid of Brissett. I'm saying bring in someone else, and kind of like how the Titans brought in Tannehill for Mariota. Yeah, and, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, yeah, but who, I who are you think... bringing in? Andy Dalton. Okay, fine. That's fine. I'm glad you said it and I didn't. I don't think Andy Dalton's coming to Indianapolis to work. It's an hour away. He doesn't have to move. He can commute. <laughs> yeah, he's a bunch of, he, has, he has a bunch of kids. He doesn't want to move. He's got the. I just don't think he's coming to back up. Although you know, be inter- Philip Rivers would be interesting in Indianapolis. He was backing I up. Almost, I almost said that. He was too. backing up Ryan Finley two weeks ago. I think he'll be willing to back up Jacoby Brissett. And I don't think it's a case where they're saying you're backing up. I think it's a case where one of you guys is going to be our starting quarterback. We don't know who. Let's see you. I, practice. Again, see I think you're. I think you're incorrect in your assessment of where he they, is. 
where they stand on on Jacoby Brissett. Then I think they're making a evaluation mistake. Then he's hurt, Sean. I mean, yeah, I don't. Okay, he's here's hurt. the thing. Okay, yes, I'm not saying he's not hurt. I wasn't that impressed with him at the beginning of the year. I mean, okay. so and that was before he got hurt. It's in a lot of it. I don't know if it's a lot of it is Frank Reich or him. Like I was saying, in what was the last primetime game where I was getting mad that we had to watch the Colts in primetime? This team is not fun to watch because they run no. the ball like crazy and they don't throw the ball downfield. In his first six games against the Texans. In his first six games, Jacoby Brissett, their team, they were four and two. He's averaging 231 yards per game. They were playing T-Y a ball. He wasn't hurt. T.Y. Hilton was playing 65% completions, 14 touchdowns, three interceptions. In his last six games since the injury, basically, two and four, 184.7 yards, completing just 60.6% of his passes, four touchdowns, three interceptions. No T.Y. I mean, Hilton, no Paris Campbell. I mean, yeah, there I mean, everybody reasons that he sucks. Yeah. I, I'm not, I think, I mean, it's, I like, it's fine if you don't want to be on board, but I think. Can he play better? Yes. Is he terrible? No. I mean, he's not. He's like 12 to 15 in terms of where you're going to rank him among quarterbacks. See, that, I don't think he's terrible, but I would rank him in like the 16 to 22. Whoa. Okay. That's fine. I think the first half of the season, he was probably more like. He was, he was 12 and above. It's according to football outsiders, he was actually ranked pretty high, I believe. Yeah. But Sean hates him. He hates him more than Sean McDermott now. He needs a new Sean McDermott. Sean, he needs a new Sean McDermott. It's going to backfire it. in his face just like that. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. All right, let's get to some – oh, yeah, playoff uh, playoff race. So the uh, Saints remain at the number three spot. They are ahead. Seattle is the number one team. <laughs> they have the tiebreaker. Seattle one, Green Bay two. New Orleans three. They're all 11 and three. Dallas at fourth is seven and seven. Um, Seattle is ahead of San Francisco in the NFC West based on their head to head matchup. Green Bay and Seattle are ahead to New or ahead of New Orleans based on conference record. So when you have the three teams in that spot, you filter out one of them and they do that. The Packers and the Seahawks are eight and two. The Saints are eight and three. Seattle is then ahead of Green Bay based on their common games record, four and oh to the Packers, two and two. That's how you get the one, two, Three situation. Can I point this out quickly? Because uh, as you mentioned, San Francisco is the fifth seed, even though they have the same record as the, the as Seattle, Green Bay, and New Orleans. And I typically don't care about this stuff. I'm fine with the way the format is now. But seeing this and seeing Dallas at seven and seven, does anyone feel like you should go by records and then reseed, or is everyone fine with the current situation? Typically, I've been fine with it. But after seeing sort of the way this sets up, I'm like, all right, this is sort of silly. <laughs> um. I'll let you go ahead, Breach. Go ahead. I'm fine with it. I know there's a big hoo-ha on Twitter that, hey, let's just do it by seeds. Let's do it how the NBA does it and just rank it. You know, the Cowboys would still get in for winning their division, so there would that's be not, a that, That's not how the NBA does it, right? If you win your division, you get a top seed in the NBA. That, yeah, but don't they rank it by record after that? Yeah, like the NFL. <laughs> no, that they – what's you, the NBA seeds? Or let's, NHL? Call, let's call it the event. If you win your division, you get one of the top seeds, right? No. I don't know. Just let them go ahead. No, 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 no. I, it's, I'm pretty sure it's what Breach is saying. They sort by record. Okay. Right. I mean, so, Devo, what, we know Devo. 
Divo's the NBA, NBA guy. They Divo. sort by record, right? Just by record. Oh, they don't do division winners. Really? Well, yeah. The same Thank you, Brenton. That's right. Yeah, and so you... I thought he was wrong. I was trying to make sure he didn't act a fool. You just dunked on yourself. So and you tried to well actually hit him, and you failed. <laughs> I, 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 I went for a dunk, and I got bunny. I went, you got rim checked. Yeah, I got rim rocks. Yeah, so I do understand the, the argument for that, that say, hey, look, the Cowboys reward for winning their crappy division will be they get in the playoffs, but they shouldn't just automatically get a home game. But if you look at what's happened since they realigned the divisions in 2002, there's really only been three seasons where people have been just complaining outright loud. That was the Seahawks in 2010, uh, the Panthers in 2014, and this year. So you're talking three out of 17 or 18 seasons. I just don't think it's enough to – and that always – the other part of that is that the fifth seed, the first wild card, has to have a really good record to make it look even stupider, which doesn't always happen. So, you know, if you have a nine and seven wild card going to an eight and eight division winner, nobody thinks that team's getting screwed over. It only happens if that fifth seed finishes with 12 or 13 wins, which is just so rare that, you know, I don't think they need to blow it up and start over. But I get the argument. Yeah, I'm typically fine with it, too. I just, I mean, the way the Cowboys are playing, if they have a losing record, and more importantly, if the, the 49ers are a fifth seed and they have like 12 wins or something, that seems borderline silly. I kind of like it. Like, even though it's not fair, I just kind of like football is already like a single elimination. Yes. Like weird things happen that I'm fine with, like with letting it ride. Yeah, I won't get mad about it. And it only happens every it doesn't happen all the time where like you see these terrible teams like so I'm fine with it. Wait, so I, I didn't I just I was just reading because I was curious, like when they changed the NBA thing and in 2016, they changed it. Um did you – I didn't know this. If you, You're not guaranteed to make the playoffs if you win your division. That's another great idea. Like Cowboys you don't – like, like if you're the ninth best team in the in the conference and you win your division and your division is just terrible, you don't make the playoffs. That's incredible. Jason Garrett would be currently on the Dolphins staff as an assistant right now if the Cowboys weren't assured a spot in the playoffs atop of the NFC East. It is entirely possible that that is the case. Um Let's get to some. Oh yeah. So uh, and obviously, if the um, Saints, Seahawks, and Packers all went out, uh, I think the order remains the same. I don't think it would go to like strength of record or anything like that. So uh, the Saints are at the Titans in Week 16, and then they have the at the Panthers in Week 17. So both road games, but both very winnable road games. Tennessee is playing pretty well, but I think. Eh, I think they could take him down. Uh, Seattle is two home games. Arizona, San Francisco, Green Bay, uh, at Minnesota, at Detroit, and then, um, San Francisco, the Rams, and then at Seattle. So probably the toughest road there is San Francisco. Did our, our expert weigh in on which teams are going to show up for week 16 and which, which teams are going to sit? Yeah. Who, uh, who, re- re- <laughs> Who will be sitting from these teams on week 16? Well, all these guys need to clinch something, so they're obviously... Uh, they've all clinched the playoff spot, so I'm sure they'll be resting. They, they need to clinch home field advantage, but the teams they're playing, who knows what kind of motivation the Panthers are going to have in week 17 when Will Greer's starting, and it's just going to be... I'm sorry, who? Who's starting? Greer. Will Greer. Okay. That's his name? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So I got I got a raspy voice. That's what a 72-hour bender in Vegas does. I used all my voice at the last night's recap. Uh, but yeah, and, and then you don't know what kind of motivation the Redskins are going to have when they play the Cowboys in Week 17. The Detroit Lions. You don't think 
Matt Patricia, you you trust him to get that team pumped up to play the Packers in Week 17? Are you kidding? We're talking me? Week 16. Why are you skipping to Week 17? No, but I'm saying, what are these other teams' motivations? And, and Brinson said any of these games. He named the last two games on each schedule, so I'm just looking at all these games as a whole. And so there are definite benefits to playing teams that might not have anything to play for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to play worse teams than we <laughs> But also worse teams that have been getting shellacked all season. I would want to play the Lions. <laughs> You'd rather you play said, the Lions than the You said the Ravens were going to sit Lamar Jackson in week 16. You said that three weeks ago. Yeah. And week 17. I said both weeks. Yeah, look, I agree with Breach. I think you want to play the bad teams and not the good teams, and that's why, in all seriousness, like the 49ers, like I think you have to look at them as the team most likely to not get the bye because I think conceivably, I think they'll beat the Rams, but they could lose that game. And I think in Seattle, I would take the Seahawks to win that game. Yeah. And the Saints obviously also aren't in a great spot because they, if it was in New Orleans against Tennessee, I would take them to win, but I'm a little bit nervous um, about them going to Tennessee. And this is basically a playoff game for the Titans next week. If they lose, they're done. So you don't know what kind of, like, you're going to get their best shot. They're not done, though, because the Steelers, they don't even know who the quarterback's going to be, and they they got to play, the mighty, <laughs> play the mighty Jets. The Colts, by the way, eliminated from the playoffs. With the Mercifully. Yes. Thank God. They were leading the division like three weeks ago. <laughs> Same. Same. What did they start? What was their record to start? Two. They hit a rough patch. Yeah, they're two and four. They're less. They were five and two. Five and two. Yeah, there you go. That's great, Bob. All right, uh, let's get to some news, and then I uh, forgot to mention we do have Jonathan Jones after the break. He was in. Uh, we t- but I, I teased it last night, so I'm fine. Uh, let's see, who do we want to go here? Oh, Janoris Jenkins, claimed by the Saints. What do you think about that, Sean? Saints owe Jenkins two weeks of salary at 597k per week. Uh, and then a uh, 2020 contract that's scheduled to pay him 11.25 million, but I believe they can pretty easily cut him if they decide. Yeah, I don't really see the risk, and I, I and I like it. And I think, uh, look, he's a few years removed from being one of the better corners in football, but I have to imagine just being in New Orleans and being on a better defense with a better pass rush would help him. Uh, and to your point, if it doesn't work, just get rid of him. Like what? I don't see any downside. I like it. Why? Like he only should have been claimed by a contender. Uh, so it makes sense to me. Well, you're, all, you're also preventing him from being claimed by another contender too. Like, and you're also preventing Eli Apple from playing, which has been a, a huge problem for the for the Saints. Um, also a huge problem for the Giants, where Janoris Jenkins previously played. So I think that's a consideration as well. For the playoff stretch, you get Jenkins, who's actually played well the last five or six weeks. He had a crappy start to the season, um, and clearly a crappy end to his time in, in New York. Yeah, he but was uh, cut the R word when he called a fan an R word, right? Uh, and then he would apologize. That was the like they were they weren't going to cut him until he refused to apologize. By the way, they're giving Drew Brees the game ball in the Saints locker room. There's like some sort of fluorescent like club style lighting going on. Wink, 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 like that. Pretty much, yeah. Basically that. Was that a wank, 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 wank? That was from NHL 96 Sega. Oh, nice. Um, Breach. Oh, no, actually, Ryan, I'll let you do this. Terrell Suggs, claimed by the Chiefs. Your boy. Suggs, one of your five favorite players of all time. Future uh, Hall of Famer. Yeah, future Hall of Famer. Was uh, cut, cut. By, um, <laughs> cut by the Cardinals. Claimed by the Ravens. It had been... Uh, reported, J- Jason Lockerford even said that he didn't think that um, 
that Suggs was going to report and it seemed like he was, Suggs was not going to show up. And then he was like, wait a minute, the Chiefs are good. I can make it to a Super Bowl. He, he wanted to go back to Baltimore, but the Chiefs were not going to just give Baltimore a free pass rusher who's motivated to play well down the stretch and win another ring and get his Hall of Fame legacy cemented. Preach, I want to give you the chronology of last Thursday, Friday, because you were traveling to Vegas to celebrate your sister's 40th birthday on the podcast Thursday night. Sean and Brinson yelled at me for about 45 minutes about their Hall of Fame selections because I didn't disagree with everyone getting in, including Terrell Suggs. Uh, Terrell, they said Terrell Suggs is a slam dunk. He was promptly cut the next day. By the way. Go ahead. This is going to be on the Christmas episode. I was say, right. This episode's not even out. It had never aired. So we, we ranked all these things. It never aired. Uh, it will be on the Christmas episode. If yeah. you're excited to hear us talk we'll about the Hall of Famers, it will be on there. And keep, by the way, keep your mailbag questions coming. We got a bunch of them thrown into the podcast app. We will answer anything. Somebody gave me a fish question. Very excited for that. Um, so Wait, anyway, that happened on Thursday, fish? Breach. On Friday, on the 4:30 show, which you missed, Amanda Guerra hosted. And uh, here's a conversation uh, Brinson had with her about Larry Fitzgerald. He goes, "The great thing about being in Arizona is you can never get cut." Uh, Next word up uh, Terrell Suggs has just been cut. What do you think about that? <laughs> so this is where we're at. So this has and, basically been 72 hours of Brenton dunking on himself. But with Terrell Suggs as being the guy getting all the assists. All that said, I think the Chiefs did the right thing by getting Suggs. They have Frank Clark, and if you look at PFF's numbers, Terrell Suggs in Arizona this year was like one point behind Frank Clark in terms of how well he played. Um, a little better against the run than, than Frank Clark. And, uh, better as a pass rusher. So yeah, Adam there, they have Emmanuel Akba. They need pass rushers. Alex Okafor towards Peck. I think he's done for the year. And I think you're right, Brinson. Suggs realized, look, man, I ain't going to the Colts, for example. Uh, I'm going to the, to the Chiefs, have a chance to win a Super Bowl and probably end up playing, um, playing the Ravens at some point. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm real quick on that. I think some people were surprised the Ravens did not put a claim in for him. But it, it didn't make sense to because they had the last claim, and if Suggs had fallen there, then he just would have been a free agent. They could have signed him, so there was no need for Baltimore to put in a claim. Yeah, that's why nobody was really surprised. Um, also, four teams did put in a claim for him. Do you remember what teams breach? Um, I do. Patriots, I think, were one of them. They must have yeah. all been better than the Chiefs. Yeah, they were. Chiefs had the worst record. I think it was the Saints, Pats, Chiefs, and not the Ravens. So it would be the Seahawks, Pats. Seahawks, Seahawks, 49ers, Seahawks, Seahawks claim, 49ers. Seahawks will claim anybody off waivers. They do not <laughs> care, including Josh Gordon, who they claimed off waivers when he was released by the Patriots. Josh Gordon suspended indefinitely by the NFL on Monday. Uh, sad story because he is a really talented guy who just cannot get it together. He was actually suspended for uh, multiple violations of mu- violations of multiple policies, not just the substance abuse policy, but also the PED policy, which could potentially be people are all up in my mentions yelling about it. That could easily be a situation where he was using a masking agent to try and hide the fact that he'd been smoking pot or something like like it, something along those lines. Um, I'm not suggesting that's exactly what it was. But uh, suspended indefinitely. That's his sixth suspension since 2013 and the fifth for some kind of form of substance abuse. Um, seven catches, 139 yards, and five games with the Seahawks. Wasn't being, a, you know, wasn't a huge contributor, uh, but had 26 offensive snaps a game. And so, um, you know, Pete Carroll said, our heart goes out to Josh for having to face this again. The fact that he's up against it, it all poses a great challenge to him. Fortunately, we have the benefit of all the league's resources to support him and help him. We'll wish him the very best in taking care of business. It's very unfortunate. I do I, wonder. Touch on. Oh, I mean, I was going to say about 
Josh Gordon, it's going to be weird when 10 years from now when we look at the NFL under the new CBA and if they allow um, Pot and how different his career would have looked if simply uh, the NFL's CBA was different. And uh, Jerry, it's funny because Jerry Jones three days ago on Friday said, I think you should expect and will expect an adjustment of the NFL policy. And I believe baseball just took it off their list of banned substances. Yep. So it seems like it's going to be coming. No, not, no, not off a of ban, but they don't test for it. Okay. I don't know if that's, I think, like, I think if you get caught with, like, you know what I'm saying? How would you get, if you got, like, arrested driving? Yeah. Like, driving a state where it's not legal, that would still get you in trouble, I think. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, Gordon, I mean, it's, you know, we talk about, I mean, Jimmy Graham got traded in 2014 or whatever. 2014 was his first, first year. Um, I mean, Josh Gordon led the league in receiving yards. It was an all pro in 2013. It feels like a really long time ago. It has been a while. It's been six years, but like he's still flash at a high level at various points in time. He's still only 28 years old, just hadn't been able to, you know, stay off whatever he needs to stay off of. Yeah. I mean, he had, he led the NFL in receiving yards and he only played in 14 games that year. He didn't even play the whole season. And it is definitely a sad situation. But one thing I thought was weird about Pete Carroll's comments is Carroll said, we were not aware that there was anything to be concerned about other than the history, which we knew about. Now, my only thing there is like, Pete, do you think Bill Belichick is just giving away talented players? Or, you know, like he would not have gotten on a roster where they have no wide receivers, no wide receivers. I mean, that should have been your giant red flag. So if you, I don't know that the Seahawks, I don't know how they couldn't have known anything uh, just because the Patriots got rid of them and they were desperate for receivers. And, you know, New England apparently had a, a security team kind of helping him kind of making sure he didn't get into any trouble. And I don't know what the situation was in Seattle, but, you know, this is a guy who has other issues off the field, and it, it, he's not, it, you know, that's something that takes a lifetime to fix. So, yeah, I mean, like, it's not, you know, I wouldn't, if you were picking two spots you don't want to go, if you've had a problem, like, you know, staying off pot, I mean, Seattle and the Broncos would be two choices where, you know, might not be ideal. Right. Oh yeah, California be... teams too. I don't know. I mean, I'm not the. You know, and not, and, and now Vegas. You don't want to play for the Vegas Raiders either because it's legal there, which I know because I smelled it and all I over. Smell. I mean, I, I smelled it all over, huh? Yeah. I don't know if location matters that much. I feel like when you have that kind of money and whatever, it's not hard to. I'm sure it's not hard to get a banned drug. Uh, all right, last one, Ryan. Mike Tomlin would not, but I hope Josh Gordon gets better. Uh, Mike Tomlin. Won't commit to a quarterback. Who should he play? You gotta stay with the duck. I mean, you gotta see Mason Rudolph play. Here's the issue. I mean, duck's arm strength isn't great, but Mason Rudolph's issue is that he holds the ball for five seconds and then he gets blasted or he just throws the ball like without any sense of direction and it gets intercepted. <laughs> bad things happen. So at least duck gets rid of the ball in a relatively timely fashion. He can throw people. Uh, he's willing to throw the ball before guys come out of their breaks, but you have to be able to run the ball. I thought James Conner actually looked okay. Uh, on uh, Sunday night. Times with Connor. I think he's still recovering from that shoulder injury, if I had to guess. But when he had the ball, he looked dynamic. So I think you have to lean on him. And what you can't do when you go to New York and face the Jets is have Mason Rudolph turn the ball over 12 times. You just run the ball, throw screens, throw short passes, and let the defense continue to play like it plays and win 10-7 to 7, and, and then get to nine wins and, and see what happens in, in that Titans-Saints game. But Mason Rudolph hasn't played in a month. He hasn't looked the same since he got blasted in that um, Ravens game in week five. 
And I'm sure his confidence is, look, he, he lost his job to a guy who's four feet tall and can't throw the football 30 yards down the field. You think his confidence is, a, is an all-time high if he has to come back in? <laughs> I don't. I don't yeah. think it I would, I would, I would venture a guess it is not at an all time high right now. It, it is, um, the other thing I mean, too, James like, Washington, the guy he played with for four years, has a better relationship with Duck Hodges in terms of catching the football than he does with Mason Rudolph. And duck hunting. I mean, they threw the ball 38 times with Duck Hodges against the Bills. That's not going to work out. You are 100% going to lose if you do that. Yeah. Well, the issue came on that first pick six to Trey White, uh, on that out route that he threw too far inside. Before that, it was sort of fine. And that dumb fumble down towards the, the goal line. I mean, Trey Davis <laughs> jumped, jumped that route. Like, that was, it was a good Well, play. it wasn't a great throw, but yeah, Trey White's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you just can't, you can't have Duck Hodges thrown 38 times. All right. Anything else you guys want to hit on from the, the, the day in the news? No? Uh, the, the, the Bears are going to sign Duck Hodges next year. <laughs> Duck Hodges, Jameis, and Phillip Rivers. And Andy hey, Dalton. Hey, at this point, I would take Jameis. And we You take Jameis? I do not want Jameis, but out of all those quarterbacks in terms of strictly football, I would rather have Jameis. So you're in on Jameis, huh? No, I don't like. I don't want Jameis as the Bears quarterback. I don't it's want been a to rough year for you. You, you, Sean McDermott. Your Bears regression thing is looking ugly. Your Sean McDermott thing. Oh my God, th- this guy! I wake up to he retweeted a tweet that I had in like August. <laughs> and I went back and I I searched your name and Garrett Bradbury and I almost retweeted your rookie of the year prediction. But you know what? I'm above that. I'm sorry. People are like retweeting this aged well. I was just like, yes, I'm sorry. I got a preseason prediction wrong. That never happens in the NFL. One of our podcast listeners found the tweet and DM me and said, you hate to see it. Okay. Okay. That's better than I thought. I was like, did you actually go look back for a tweet about this? Uh, A podcast listener DM me was like, have you, do you remember this tweet from Sean's? I was like, no, that's good. I'm going to retweet it. (laughs) He said, you hate to see it. I got John, a DM for happens. All you need to do if you kept a screenshot is tweet out the screenshot of him making fun of Mike Glennon and he'll <laughs> shut up for five minutes. <laughs> I got a DM from a podcast listener who told me to keep living my best life and keep microwaving my food and that the people are behind me. Are your DMs open too? Uh, I mean, we're on a podcast. You got to open them up. Oh, yeah. There you go. Here's open breach. Wide open. Wide open. Here's the thing. What can't. Why, why does someone have to DM me? Why can't they just tweet it at me? Cause like, I don't, it's if a private conversation. Say, if you can't say that they support my love for Brussels sprouts, you know, publicly on Twitter, then I don't, I don't need to open my. Amen to that, brother. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that. I wouldn't publicly say I like Brussels sprouts, but if I secretly liked them, I would let you know via DM. Well, I don't want the support of those people. You gotta be proud of it, man. Well, then you're not gonna have any supporters, Sean. I do. I have, we have two people left with you <laughs> saying they want to come to Thanksgiving 2039. Too. Oh, man. It's going to well, be a small crowd. Scope you guys in. You can periscope us in. All right, let's get out here. We're going to take a break. Sean has to go get in line for Star Wars. That's right. Sean's going to get in line for his first. He's podcasting seven. from the Star Wars line right now, dum-dum. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Jones, our good buddy, is on the other side. We're going to talk about Bills, Steelers, maybe a little Panthers front office as well. So uh, stick around after the break. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. 
Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, joining us now, as he did uh, last Monday for the first time, now for the second time, great friend of the program, Jonathan Jones, senior NFL reporter slash insider slash writer slash frequent traveler, and uh, a man who's in Pittsburgh on uh, Sunday night for uh, for a little renegade, a little Buffalo Bills victory. How was the uh, how was the vibe up in Pittsburgh, JJ? Yeah, it was. It, thank you for having me on. Well, first of all, uh, it was. It was a different kind of vibe. Like I'd been up there for a handful of games. They just, the crowd I feel like has really gotten used to this. Like, oh wow, another primetime game. So what? And so you did not get the vibe and the feel and the energy there that you normally would. Yeah, sure. When they played Renegade, when that came on, it was cool. And then of course Josh Allen went ahead and shut them up immediately after that. But, (laughs) um, like the, they were holding the press box elevator for the coaches with, you know, two or three minutes left. So I had to walk down the stairs with the rest of the fans and no one was saying a word. There were Bill's mafia fans, but they weren't even like talking, talking junk. Like it was just like a, Oh, okay. That was the game. And it was such an ugly game too, that like, I don't know. I, I didn't like the vibe at that game. Well, it was a, like the over under was 37 and a half points going in. So you knew, uh, and it was also like Josh Allen versus a really good defense and Duck Hodges versus a really good defense. So you had a, right. I mean, everybody had an inkling that there was probably going to be, um, yeah, you know, a lack of a dearth of points there. And there was. Do, do you think the Steelers lack of enthusiasm might be the fact that they know that this, like, it's almost like they've hit their ceiling? You know what I mean? Like they've, like they're going to, they're probably going to make the playoffs. They might barely miss it, but they're not going to have a losing record. They are. There's like there's only so much they can do with what they have to work with on offense, right? Yeah, right. They they do kind of have to know that. Like, you know, the the old cliche is, all right, well, once you get into the playoffs, anything can happen. And it's like, well, that's not true for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, they they can get in there with Duck Hodges, and then he's not going to throw into the middle of the field, and then James Conner's going to do his best, and the merry bunch around him might get seven yards. Uh, total rushing. And then, you know, as best as James Washington can play if Juju Smith-Schuster is out, of course, Juju will be back, you know, by the 1st of January, as we all would assume with that knee. But yeah, that's about it. So they get in and then they're just going to get beaten up pretty rough on the road uh, January 4th or 5th. I mean, they're operating with, again, Duck Hodges is their quarterback. James Washington, a second-year guy that I mean, Chris Collinsworth was not. I'm gonna say he was giving him the business on the on the broadcast, but he's like, this guy nearly ate his ate his way out of the league, Al. It's like he, I didn't I didn't realize. Wait, he was, really? He yeah, he's that? like he's like he almost ate and and like he's like you know he's like he's he like ballooned. Up. I was like, what are, what is he talking about? James Washington is, was fat. I don't even remember. Was that. he was he giving him the Kelvin Benjamin treatment? Sort. Of, I mean, sort of. But he's he said I'm really proud of him because he's like he's like focused and he's working hard and he's and he's eating right. And he's taking care of his body. But it was like. I didn't, I mean, like, I just thought he was a rookie who was sort of struggling. I didn't realize it was a, like a, he almost got booted from the team. That's, he says people around the, around the team told him that. Yeah, they got Deontay Johnson, who's a rookie too, you know, taking with the AB pick that they got for him. Just not a lot to work with. Um, and look, that's, that Bill's defense. They're legit. I, I don't know how good 
necessarily the run defense is, but that secondary is as tough as anybody outside the Patriots, right? And, and do you think that this is a team that can, A, challenge the Patriots for this division now? You know, they need some help. Patriots have to lose in Week 17, so it's probably unlikely. But, like, do you think they're closer to being on the same plane as New England than they have in years past? It's so difficult to say the same plane as New England because you you can't talk about New England and only talk about one-year increments, right? Yeah, that's fair. But if Right, but if we only talk about these two teams playing on a given weekend, yes, the Bills are as close to the Patriots as they have been in a long time to winning that game as a coin flip, right? And so I think on Saturday, as we're going to see up in Foxborough, I don't think I don't I have no idea what the spread is, but I can't imagine that it's going to be any more than six or seven points. It can't yes, be more than one seven, seven points spot on. And you said you right. But, well, I, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm good. Maybe I'm Mr. Vegas. But <laughs> but yeah, I, I, they're as close as they ever have been. And then, of course, whatever happens with the Patriots this offseason could help elevate those bills, because obviously what Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have, have been able to concoct there. Listen, we knew that last year they were going to struggle. They had the cap issues. They were going to go through some some growing pains with the rookie quarterback. I'm not saying Josh Allen is at all a finished product. He still does a lot of the things that drive me insane that made me not like him in the pre-draft process. But there's no doubt that he has played so much better in his sophomore season in the NFL than even I expected him to. For sure. Do um, How well do you know Brandon Bean and McDermott? Because, I mean, obviously they were at Carolina for a while. I don't know how much your crossover was with them in terms of – Yeah, yeah. I got to know them pretty well. Um, yeah, and, and Bean, I think, has, has done a – I think has done a fantastic job. How much uh, do you think, uh, how much do you think David Tepper would like to have Brandon Bean in Carolina right now? I think he'd love to have Brandon Bean in Carolina right now, but Brandon Bean is not going to go anywhere where he's the assistant GM and, yeah. and director of, you know, like it'd, it'd be a step down for him going back and working for four with Marty Herney, whatever that preposition is. And that's a, that's a really weird assistant two, assistant four, assistant right. fifth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and well, I don't know, well, I don't know what Marty's role is necessarily going to be. Is he going to be super scout emeritus with the Carolina Panthers? Is he still going to maintain GM role? Is he just simply college football talent evaluator? I don't know what that means. It, okay. I, I want to get to that in a second, but actually, you know, we'll just go to it now. We'll come out of the bills in a minute. Cause I think that is interesting. There's two things with the Panthers that are in the news. Debo's like slamming his head up against the wall. He's like, Why are you not talking about the bills anymore? Um, but. Like, I, I do think that if you read between the lines, I think you're right. Like, Super Scout Emeritus is a great way of phrasing it. Yeah, I think he's probably going to be the GM in title, and then they bring in somebody else and sort of try to figure out some kind of transition, right, with Marty. That's what I sort of got reading between the lines and hearing David Tepper talk and sort of understanding based on his remarks that um, he basically wants to hire an analytically driven GM to run things and bridge the gap that has sort of existed in Carolina between the football side of things and the business side of things and to, and to work them together. But he also doesn't want to lose Marty Herney, who he believes is a good evaluator of talent, right? Yeah. So, but, but can you get a Nick Casario over? Is that giving him enough autonomy or right. is, is Marty? And so I don't know. Are you more looking for a director of pro personnel who can do both things? Or are you looking for a guy who absolutely is going to be one of the 32 GMs somewhere to come over and say, all right, I'm going to give you this weird title for a year and a half or two, and then we're going to transition you into the full thing. But like, but he, but his VP of football ops would be above GM, right? I, it's, it's going to be really weird to see how they, how they structure this. The, the two titles that he mentioned, that's how you wrote about this, I believe, 
I think it was you. Maybe it was I, I, – because when I read the press release, I was like, that's two jobs. He's hiring two people. And it's just one. It's one. But it's like one job is above the GM and the other job is below the GM. So it's almost yeah. like he's making it like a second GM, but he's giving him the VP title. So that way he – whoever he brings in, Marty would have to report to in theory. Yeah, but Marty's going to be involved in the hiring of him. So it does not yeah, make, it's, make it, a whole bunch yeah. of sense. Right and they want to hire the coach before they hire the assistant – like, it's, like, I'm it's not a arranged not. marriage. And so that's why when people are saying like, ooh, a Josh McDaniels in Carolina, like, first of all, I don't believe that Josh McDaniels is going to go anywhere where he doesn't have an established quarterback. And right now the Carolina Panthers have no idea who their quarterback in 2020 was going, is going to be Cam or someone else. And they know it's not going to be Kyle Allen in week one. As far as a Mike McCarthy, do you think that he's just been living in damn Green Bay for this <laughs> whole year and, and flying all these coaches up to his house? To, to not have control over a 53 man roster and then have an arranged marriage with Marty Herney and then whoever this other person is, uh, and then they all just work together. I don't know. That's why uh, an up and comer makes more sense for the yeah. Carolina Panthers, a Kevin Stefanski, right? Than a Josh McDaniels or a Mike McCarthy. Yeah. I'm with you on there because it's somebody like, remember McDaniels, obviously, when he went to Denver, he was given full personnel control. Basically, he was coming from New England, so he had the cachet. That's what they'd done with Mike Shanahan in the past, and it worked out fine. They won Super Bowls, and so McDaniel's had all that power, and it, it blew it blew up in his face badly. I think that's. I feel like like if you if you want to be optimistic about what the Panthers are doing, that's the spin that you look at with what David Tepper is doing here and how he's building it out. If you want to be pessimistic, you can be like, this is just a weird way to build a business. But you know what? He's the billionaire, not me. So I'm not going to criticize his business structures until we see how it actually unfolds. Uh, Will Greer. According to um, Ian Rappaport on Monday, was announced the starter. Do you think it's surprising that they ultimately decided to go uh, with Greer and uh, instead of Kyle Allen? Kyle Allen just didn't give him any choice. I really do believe that they yeah. did not want to play Will Greer this year, but Kyle Allen has played so remarkably poorly that it's almost a why not. And at some level, I understand that David Tepper really doesn't want to win many more games and give up that draft position. And, you know, Perry Fuel is not going to be the head coach moving forward, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, you have to still be able to walk through that locker room and look those dudes in the face and, yeah. and say, like, hey, we tried to win games. And they know that they can't win a game right now with Kyle Allen at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's like the Dolphins quandary, right? Like the Dolphins want the first pick because they want to be able to get the best player. But, like, I think what Brian Flores is doing with that team and building – Sort of the, uh, the attitude and, and, and like the you know, changing, changing the culture there by winning games and by trying hard in games is way more valuable than like the fourth pick versus the second pick. And- I think, I think if you want to try to attract a big fish, like a, let's say a Jadavian Clowney next year, mm. that I, that the next Clowney would very much look on the Dolphin situation and be like, you know what? That coach is a coach who absolutely can win. Guys are going to play for him. But because I don't think either one of us blames Kwani for being like, mm-hmm, I'm not going to Miami nah, back nah. in August. No, nah, he's like, listen, I got one year left on my deal. I want to go try and win. I want it to be high profile. And then I'm getting paid because my agent's Bus Cook and I'm Jadavon Clowney. And one time I hit a dude at Michigan. Um, <laughs> Clowney's obviously, I'm joking. Clowney's obviously much more than that. He's a great run defender. And when he's healthy, he's one of the best in, in football. But actually, Clowney would be an interesting fit for Carolina. I guess he probably wouldn't sign him. But, I mean, he would be – he didn't get to play on Sunday. I was surprised because that's kind of a hometown game for him. He's from Fort Mill. Yeah. Right? But, and yeah, and I think that he had only come by one other time with Houston, but you know, mm-hmm. there, Seattle, I believe is going to be the one seed. I know that it's easy to say that because they're right there in it right now, sure. but going into that San Francisco game, even se- several weeks ago, I was like, I think they're going to win this game. 
And I think yeah, they're t- ultimately going to be the one seed because I don't really believe in the Niners. Yeah, and by the way, the Seahawks are the first team since the 78 Oilers to win 10 games or more by one score. Mm. Seahawks are a little lucky, but look, they got Russell Wilson, and they get the Cardinals and then the 49ers to close out. And if they win those two games, they'll be the one seed. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, back to the Bills. Where – just want to take that little detour into Panthers land. Where um, – What's their ceiling in the playoffs, do you think, when you watch that team? I think – I mean, I think that they can be in a one-possession game with a Houston. I don't see them competing with Kansas City, who is absolutely turning it on right now. Yeah. So if they if they somehow – and I don't – I think the Bills are very firmly in the five seeds, so they wouldn't see Kansas City, who would who would be the three, if not the two. Uh, so you're looking at a four, and that would be Houston or Tennessee. That's a game that they could win. That's absolutely a game that they could win. Um, but then after that, I don't, I don't see them competing with the, the other top teams in the AFC, especially the Ravens, especially the Kansas City Chiefs. And then really playoff Patriots is just a totally different ball game. Like I said, flip a coin and on December 20, whatever. Okay. They can play the Patriots very tight, but once the calendar hits January, Patriots are going to win by 14. Yeah. It's interesting too. Like if you look at, so we got the Ravens, the Patriots. The Chiefs at three, and then I think you can throw the Bills in here too. That's four really good secondaries. Now that's five, four, yeah, four really good secondaries. The Texans uh, don't exactly have the juice on the back end. They've been banged up with injury, um, but they can get into a shootout with anybody. But man, to me, when you look at, I mean, like that's going to be some difficult waters to navigate. If even if you have a Patrick Mahomes, even if you have a Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, even if you have a Lamar Jackson, like there's an advantage to having Tom Brady there in that he might not be still great. But the dude is a, a grizzled veteran, and he has shown over and over again that he can make plays when it counts on big stages. And plus, two weeks to prepare for Bill Belichick. What are you do with that? Yeah, and you know he's going to know what the Bills are going to throw at him. It, the the great thing that I heard in the locker room, Ed Oliver, uh, after the game, he kept saying out loud. He was seated beside Starla Tule and Jordan Phillips in the locker room. He kept saying, "Oh yes, yeah, Cole. Oh, I ain't gonna win." And I, I went up to him and I said, Hey, Ed, uh, you know, what, what's this, what's this moment like for you getting into the playoffs? And very still, he was like, I don't know. Never been to the playoffs. Don't even know what it's like. <laughs> I said, okay. Well, I hear you, you know, saying this stuff out loud, like how it's cold and stuff. He's like, yeah, yeah. When I got drafted, all anybody was telling me was it's cold and you're going to lose. Well, <laughs> look at us now. <laughs> and I said, and then I almost said something. He goes, well, it's still cold. The winning ain't helping that it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. He's been a, he's been a, like a sneaky revelation for them defensively this year. Like in terms of getting after it and like being a run defender and getting like just creating just disruption on the interior. Yeah. He's a big disruptor. I had him as my preseason defensive player of the year. Yeah. So I had a, I was really big on rookie him. or rookie or player rookie. Rookie. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. Defensive oh, rookie of the year. But, uh, but no, he has been a, a great disruptor. You know, you, I love the way that this Bill's defense is working in concert together. I think it's awesome that Tredavious White did what he did in prime time because he's a guy, you go back to his rookie year, there, if Marshawn Lattimore obviously won, uh, defensive rookie of the year, Tredavious White was right there with yeah, him sure. up until like week 15. And he probably should have, certainly should have been getting more love the last year and a half too than he has. Uh, what about J, uh, JJ? I was coming JJ Watt. Uh, TJ Watt. I think he's the defensive player of the year. Uh, so what did he, did he have a half sack yesterday? So he's up to like 13. He has maybe six forced fumbles. He's really good, but 
I don't know. It, it's difficult for me to this place him. This is a weird defensive, a, defensive player of the year race. There's has to nobody who's Gilmore, like a slam right? dunk. No, but like for me, it has to be Stephon Gilmore because right now, like quarterbacks are averaging what a, a twelve passer rating going yeah. his way, well, and a- right, and there's just no. He's the most shut down, locked down corner since Revis. Like we've seen guys as blips on the radar. We saw Josh Norman in fifteen. We saw Jalen Ramsey have a really good year. When was that in seventeen or eighteen? But then seventeen, and then like okay, but Stephon Gilmore was absolutely. The, the number one first team all pro last year. And now he's been even better. And without Stefan Gilmore, remove him because there does need to be an element of value to yeah. defensive player of the year, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that we rely too much on the V in MVP voting. And we, and just because there is no V in defensive player of the year that we don't talk about it, but you remove Stefan Gilmore from the Patriots defense. What do you got? You've got a like a ten and six play, Patriots team. I don't know. I mean, like, I mean right. like, seriously, they might. I mean, he's like he flipped that game against Cincinnati. He picked that ball off, took it to the house, and it changed the entire complexion of the game. They're going down like if they go score there, all of a sudden the Bengals are rolling. Yeah, I, I'm fine with Gilmore. By the way, how about the fact that the Bills could have Gilmore and Tre'Davious White in the same backfield? Uh, it would be incredible. I mean, I guess, you know, of course, that's kind of why they got white was because they lost Gilmore. They lost but. Gilmore for sure, yeah. And and I think I, I made the point, like, how, you know, how crippling it would be if you're, like, you're the Bills front office and you're like, yeah, you know, Stefan, we're going to let you become a free agent, you know, yada, yada. You don't tag him or anything. And then, like, the first offer he gets is, like, like a way above market offer from Bill Belichick. You're like, oh God, we've made a huge, huge <laughs> mistake. Oh crap. Like that's the worst. It's like, that's like, like you break up, like you dump your girlfriend and then like, she's like, like then like you spot her out on a date with like Brad Pitt. You're like, that's you're like right. whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, you're, you're like, Hey honey, I, I know this is going to be really hard for you. And she's like, no, it's okay. I'll, I'll make it. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like out there with Gosling, and you're like, "What did I did I did I miss? What did I miss here? I completely whipped on something. I've made a huge mistake. Yeah, I made a huge. Yeah, yeah. Your head is in a weird spot. Then, yeah, I think uh, I know Peter Schrager of uh, NFL Media and Fox and wherever else uh, had threw Daniel Hunter in there. I think that's a good case. Uh, T.J. Watt, Gilmore. I'm fine with Gilmore for sure. Um, Make if it's Patrick, I guess. See, that's the other problem too. Is like. Was the Steelers defense great before Minka came over? So can, you know what I mean? Like, can TJ get right? Well, he's got blood debris there too. Yeah. It's, you know, it it can't be, I think if we're talking about defensive player of the year, we have to just pick one Steeler. And so who's it going to be? For me, it would be a TJ Watt. And then, you know, I, I do have the the taste in my mouth of Jadavius White getting two interceptions against TJ Watt Steelers uh, Mm. and and getting the head to head win. And then you put Jadavius White up against a Stefan Gilmore. And it's like, okay, well, Tredavious White is great, but he is second in almost every category to yeah. Stefan Gilmore. Yeah. And it's just hard to, it's just hard to get that. It's hard to get there in terms of like giving him the credit over a Stefan Gilmore. I'm with you there. I'm trying to think who else. Are we missing anybody else from good defenses? I mean, I guess you could throw like Earl Thomas in there, but the Ravens almost feels like a collective effort. It's such uh, a, yeah. Yeah. Nobody from Seattle or Green Bay really stands out. You know, New Orleans is, you know, maybe you could go Cameron Jordan if their defense stays strong down the stretch without Sheldon Rankins and Marcus Davenport. Hunter, we mentioned. Hmm. Uh, Nick, Nick Bose, I guess, deserves some love. I mean, but he, that 49ers defense is good as a whole. Yeah, it may really, really may just be Gilmore. 
And it's odd. I, I think I think we're searching for someone other than Gilmore just because there hasn't been a defensive player of the year since what oh nine Woodson, and so it is very unnatural for us yeah. to be talking about a corner this way. But I mean, ultimately, he is he is not the most dominant defensive player because it's difficult to say that about a corner. But he's erasing the number one receiver almost every single week for a team that is totally and wholly relying on its defense to get a first-round buy in the playoffs. And it allows Bill Belichick to do exactly what he wants. He can smother the number one option with Stephon Gilmore, and then he can bracket whoever the number two is with the safety, and your right. your defense is basically your offense is basically snuffed out. Um, Let me tell you this one thing, um, because there's no way that you're going to team me up on it. But it, <laughs> but I went into the game and I was interested in. All right, biggest story from last week: Patriots advance scout, right? Yeah, for sure. There was a Patriots advance scout. At the game. Oh, good call. I was going to ask you about the recording stuff. I was like, there's nothing really relevant. So I didn't. Really no. Good. So, oh, so God. the whole week I was pumped about this. It's like, okay, I got a story idea. What are the Bills going to do to make sure that the Patriots advance scout at the Steelers game isn't yeah. doing anything that he shouldn't be doing? So I get to the game and I start asking around. And it's very clear that a couple of people. You're not around the only one the Bills, who's. No, 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 no. They were like, Oh, Oh yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, we've played them a bunch, uh, with Sean McDermott and, uh, whatever they know about us, they probably already know. And so then I went and spoke with someone with the Steelers and they said, there has not been any sort of formal anything that we have received from the Bills as it relates to the advanced scout that may or may not be in the press box. So he was at the end of the press box. There was no video camera with him, but I was almost ready for the, the, the Bills to do something special. Uh, or the Steelers to have placed him in an inadvantageous or disadvantageous spot in the press box. It was normal business like, as usual. Or like with like two guys who like sunglasses, like FBI looking agents and like sunglasses with like bulges in their like in their jacket pockets. That's right. That's across. right. Looking like look, <laughs> looking like a Ferris viewer picking up Sloan as her dad from the uh, from school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The um. The the interesting thing too is like remember early in the year Sean McDermott chased off uh mm-hmm. a, a Bill Belichick's son Steve Belichick and another Patriots coach from the sideline so there's there is no, and it does seem to be like this is if the Patriots were trying to get a leg up on the Bengals at all which again seems insane but it does seem like it was to try and get figure out what Zach Taylor does it was like a coach and like get his tendency you know what I mean like it wasn't to like steal their plays or anything it was to basically no no, get, no. It was, it was, to, it would have been, if it happened, it would have been to, yes, get his tendencies to see who on this Bengals staff, and it's a new staff, who is the one that's, that is, uh, signaling the substitutions, who's signaling, who's signaling the opposing personnel, uh, what is their tempo and cadence with things like that. Absolutely. I will be on the sideline in Foxborough, uh, on Saturday for nice. the Bills Patriots, so I will definitely be keeping my eyes peeled for all, uh, things related to that. Awesome. Uh, all right. Well, we will have to, uh, we'll have to chat you up about that as well next week. Uh, in the meantime, we'll, uh, we'll get out of here. Good stuff as always. JJ, pumped to, uh, maybe we got two more weeks left of the season. Yeah. Doing that. And Brinson, I'm also doing Cowboys Eagles the next day after that. Oh, is that on Sunday night? That's on Sunday. No, no, no. It's Sunday well, so at you're 4 doing, You're doing Foxborough to, uh, to Dallas. So no, if I were to Philly, that makes yeah. that makes more sense because then yes, you can just fly out of Philly. All right, nice, nice, excellent stuff. Well, let's uh, let's catch up on Monday then, and we'll uh, we'll we'll break down some of that stuff. Oh, indeed.
All right, buddy. Have a good week. Awesome, brother. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.